Good morning, good morning, good morning. How are you all doing this morning? I just want you to take one second right now and think, just in your head silently to yourself. Think about the great things that God has done for you. And now praise him for those things. Let's, thank you, Jesus. Thank you so very much, Lord. Well, obviously, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Shelby and Gabe, for leading us in worship. Unbelievable experience this morning. I'd give you a second or two to greet each other. Give everybody a warm welcome. Well, good morning, good morning. Obviously, most of you know who I am, but there's some people out there who don't. My name's Jeremy Roberts, and my wife Becky, who's up here in the second row, we lead the Quest Youth Group, which takes place here on Sunday. Thank you. Believe it or not, we were just talking again last night. We've been part of Quest for 21 years. It's absolute. I'm really young. I'm really young. But we've been, part of, been able to be part of that ministry for 21 years, and God has just done unbelievable things to us and with us, and we're just so grateful for that. Um, I want to personally thank everybody who prayed for myself and my family when we had the down and outs. Um, yeah, I had COVID. I did everything I could possibly do not to get it. I got my vaccinations. I wore my mask, and somehow I got it. But God is good, and I am here, and I'm doing well, but thank you for the cards and the prayers and the food. Um, it is greatly appreciated, more than you know. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a little blurb in there. Pastor and I did not get it from each other. <laughs> we were around each other a whole lot, but we can honestly, we know where it came from, and we, were, we got it at the same time in different places. So it's, it's pretty crazy, but um, God is good, and thank you so much for that. With that being said, I want to thank everybody who stepped up and made this church what it is. Wow. Yes. Thank you. It says that it takes a body, and that's what it did. People st stood up. People reacted in short notice to be able to give messages and do things, and, and everything ran the way it was supposed to because we don't have one person who leads there is a team of leaders here who carry things on. So thank you so much to everybody, the media team, Judy for stepping up, all the people who stepped up for communion and everything else, because we had a whole plan in place of how everything was supposed to go, and God made that different. So thank you. I also like to uh, just remind you and, and take a second to just be praying for the six states that were hit by the tornadoes. Obviously, we know that there's just devastation out there across, the, the, across our country. And um, I just want to take a second. Dear Lord, we just thank you, Lord, that, that you are bigger than the storm. Lord, and ask, right now, Lord, we just ask that you be with the families and people and communities and states that were impacted by these awful storms, Lord. And Lord, where there's devastation, Lord, you bring life. So, Lord, we ask right now that you be in the midst, Lord. We, we thank you for the teams of, of churches and, and other ministries that are stepping up to serve people, Lord. And we just thank you for all the lives that will be changed during this storm because they heard your word. And we'll be sure to give you all the praise, worship, and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Well, as you can see, Pastor Jeff is here, which is great. But we, we decided with wisdom that he needed to have another week to just regain strength and, and, and do. And now I've got the pressure of being up here with him here. <laughs> so just be praying for me. Uh, no. But honestly, um, we're glad that he's here. We're glad that you guys are all here. And um, I, th this message that I'm going to give you today started resonating in my heart back in May. I was sitting in that second chair there. All of a sudden, I don't know how God works with you. Sometimes he just gives me downloads. And I turn to the back of my notebook, and I just start scribbling all this stuff. And I don't know what it means or anything like that. And since May, I've just been stirring on this stuff. And then it was in October that I walked into Pastor Gabe's office, and he's like, 
you know, you're supposed to have a message ready, you know, whenever we need it, you're on call. You know, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to give this message called In the Waiting. And then Judy goes, wait, I'm preparing something called About Waiting too. And look what God did. God put two, Judy, two of Judy's messages about waiting and put me on the tail end of it. So I got a lot to live up to today. But anyways, obviously, God wants us to hear about waiting. I don't know why, but he does. And my message is, is different than Judy's because I think that, you know, it's well-rounded and we can have a whole series about waiting coming from this. So uh, before we do that, we just want to pray. Dear Lord, I just ask right now, Lord, that you be in this place. It says where two or more are gathered. Lord, you are here, and I believe you are here right now. Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit speak through me, Lord, that I be a vessel of you, Lord, that I don't change lives, but your words through me change lives, Lord, and that we can all leave here changed today and transformed, and we will give you all praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. So the title of my message today is called In the Waiting. All right, Judy had How Are You Waiting and The Waiting Room. It's just unbelievable. Um, but think about this. Where are places we wait? You can just, I, I'm a teacher. You can just shout at me. I'm not about hand raising or anything like that. This is like interactive. Where are places we wait? Doctor's office. Everybody likes that one, right? Grocery store. Where? Amusement parks, right? There's nothing worse than not having a fast pass at Disney. You've got to wait in that huge long line. Where else? Highways, yep. What's that? I can't hear it. Bank, at the bank, right? All right, so John, you can hit the next one, right? These are all places that we wait for sure, right? We wait in traffic. We wait at Chick-fil-A for sure. You're never going to get in and out quickly. Mothers wait nine months. Let's not forget that, right? And some of you are going, oh, yes, we do, right? And we get a beautiful little gift on the end of that. Right? And then if any of you have served in the military, you know it. It's hurry up and wait. So we do a whole lot of waiting in our lives. But what we see here is we experience waiting every day. But how do we wait? And what are we waiting for? The Bible gives us several promises, and we can quote them. All right? Um, Exodus 20, 12 says, Honor your mother and your father. So that you may live long in the land and the, the land the Lord is giving you, right? So we got this promise that we hold on to, right? Honor mom and dad so we can live long. And we can just shoot that out whenever we want to, right? And then we've got John 1633 that says, For in this unbelieving world, oh, I skipped one, my fault. We're going to go back to Romans there, John, I'm sorry, thank you. If you openly say Jesus is Lord and believe with your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And these are promises we stand on every single day because they're in the Bible and we like them. <laughs> right? But there's also scriptures in the Bible that aren't so friendly. But you know what? They're still God's truths. And sometimes we avoid them. All right? And that's where we, we've got to come a little bit more in tune. And, and what I say is we've got to be a little bit wiser. John 16, says, For in this unbelieving world, you will experience troubles and sorrows. They're real, right? Everybody can agree with that, right? But this isn't one we're quoting all the time. This isn't one we're throwing around. This isn't one we're getting ready for. Right? This is one we sort of shy off to the side because there, there's not a good thing at the end of it. All right, and then we look at James 1, 2, which is the very first scripture I ever learned in my life at a Bible study with Kathy. All right, my brothers and sisters, you will have many kinds of trouble. This is real. There's trouble everywhere we go. All right, but what are we doing before the trouble gets there? This may not be what you came to church to hear today, but let's remember, it's in the Bible and it's truth. And the truth can set us free. We must face the truth. The topic of suffering and trials is not a hot topic in churches. Matter of fact, President Thomas Jefferson, when he created his own snippet Bible, he went in the Bible and cut out the things he liked. He left out anything to do with suffering. 
because he didn't want to face it, because it wasn't his truth. That's actually in the Bible Museum in Washington. There's a whole, like, section on it. It's, it's crazy. We don't want to face things. But we must be reminded that the enemy is real, and he's always making plans to take us out, whatever way it may be. So when we look at 1 Peter 5.8, in the easy-to-read version, it says, the devil is your enemy, and he goes around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to attack and eat. And then a different version, the message says, the devil, the devil is poised to pounce and would like nothing better to catch you napping. Let's remember who lions attack. Lions attack the weakest and the slowest. They don't attack where there's a challenge. They attack where the weak point is. So let's not let that be us as Christians. So the question is, if we know our enemy is out to get us, and that he's ready to steal, kill, and destroy, what are we doing in the waiting? What are we doing to prepare for this attack? When I was in the Marines, and my daughter, she's not here this morning, but she would have went, here we go again. <laughs> we are talking to tell the Marines story. When I was in the Marines, we would go out on patrol. And a patrol could be anywhere from 45 minutes to a couple hours. All your gear on. And when you're in a patrol, you're going out to look for something. And chances are something's looking for you. So you have to be totally engaged that whole time. Mentally, physically, with all your gear on, ready to do what you have to do. The best thing that you could do is when you got off patrol, is come back and go back to your barracks or go back to a safe haven. But most often you didn't. You had to stay out in the, in the field or in, in the combat area, and you had to set up a defensive position. Most of the time, these defensive positions were places where nobody else wanted to go because that's what made you safest, right? So we would find a defensive position on the outskirts of a swamp because people didn't want to go across swamps. We'd find it in the thicket of the thickest things because people wouldn't want to walk through there. We wouldn't do it on any easy avenue or anything like that. But when we did this, we'd come off patrol, and we'd have to do what's called priorities of work in the defense. And this is a whole list of military things that we had to do. As soon as we got done being engaged with the enemy, or going to look for the enemy, or reporting on them, this is what we had to do. We came back, and we automatically set 25% of whoever was with us in security. So not did we just stop what we were doing, we reset and put people in security, right? And I'm only going to go over the red start stuff because some of this stuff is pretty deep. But this whole process from start to finish takes 20 hours to complete, all right? So then we set out observation posts and listening posts. So if my defensive perimeter is here, 200 yards up front of us, we're going to have people who are out there who are listening and looking for the enemy coming at us, right? And every hour or two, we're going to be flipping who those people are. Think about that spiritually. When we stop our day, do we continue and listen and look for the, the, the enemy out there and what it could do to us, right? Then we're going to go down and it's going to be called prepare the defense positions. All that other stuff that's in there is a lot of stuff that I just don't even want to get into. Crucive weapons, that's putting your big heavy weapons in place so that you can put rounds down range really, really, really quickly if somebody were to attack you. Set up range cards, that's knowing where everything is and the distances between them so you can hit your target. But preparing a defensive position is digging a hole because <laughs> there's not anything out there. It is digging a deep hole. Most of the time, the hole is at least chest deep so that you can be in there and you can be protected. So you've been out on patrol, you come back, and now you're setting this defensive position. You're getting ready to get ready for what's out there and could possibly harm you. And then as we skip down, there's lots of other things in between there, but it's conduct maintenance operations. That's taking care of your equipment, taking care of your own rifle, making sure that it fires and it does what it needs to do. Then look at the last three things. It's take care of yourself. You can finally clean yourself up a little bit. You can finally eat, and you can finally get some rest. 
Now, I know that, the, you know, we're supposed to get rest, and I'm not saying that this is, this is the lifestyle that we need to live here in a place where for the majority of time we're safe. But let's think about this if this were spiritual warfare and what we would do, right? So this is just a list of preparations that are there. So the first thing we need to do is we need to be prepared, right? We talked about the scriptures that say, that the enemy is out there and he's roaring and he's coming, he will come after us, right? And I gave you a little bit of a description on, on who he's going to come after, but we need to be prepared, not scared, right? If we have the intelligence that the battle is out there, it would be in our best interest to prepare for it, to make us safe before it comes. There are a few things worse, in my opinion, than not being prepared, all right? Who, what gentleman in here have started a project at their home and then had to run to the hardware store four times because you forgot, so everybody's hand goes up, right? Oh, I forgot, I got, forgot the plumber's glue. I forgot the gasket, right? It's awful. I work with my father-in-law. He'll tell you, every time I got to go to the hardware store, I grunt and I groan. I just want, I'm a guy, I want to get the project done. And then I look at my wife and it, her heart is so good. She'll be there and she'll know I'm in like, a mood, right? Because we all get in moods. She's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cook brownies or I'm going to bake cookies to make you feel better. And then she doesn't have eggs or something, <laughs> right? And we forget that a main ingredient that we need to hold it. Being prepared is the key, all right? But most often, we, we, we just want to jump into what's going on rather than being prepared for it. So speaking from my own experiences, it is a big thing to not be prepared. Now, we've been blessed over the last few months with Pastor Jeff's messages on life's anchors that has given us a good foundation on where to stand. And Mark Colbrenner preparing us with the armor of God and how to fight, all right? And Judy giving us word on how to wait. But today, I feel like I'm gonna give you ammunition for the fight because there's nothing worse than not having ammunition in the battle. I'm going to give you some scriptures that you can bring to the fight that will help you persevere through. The first and foremost thing that's important that we need to bring to the fight is we need to bring God in the name of Jesus. How often do we go to a fight and we don't bring him along with us? Now, he's there, but we don't bring him. We try to fight it ourselves. The Amplified Bible, it says in Romans 31... If God is for us, who can be successful against us? If we bring him, we're already there. Now, I'm not saying it's gonna, the fight's going to be totally easy and we're just gonna, we're, it's going to be a pushover. I'm not saying that. But if I know that I've got the winning chip or the winning card or the winning piece, how dare I not use it? We've got the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We can win any chess game there is. We just got to put them in play. But quite often, myself speaking, I don't bring them to the fight. The fight's in front of me, and I just start battling myself. And then when I pause, I'm like, oh, whoops, forgot that piece. The most important piece there is. We must have God confidence that God's presence is with us, just as Pastor Jeff talked about as his first anchor of hope. How do we have this confidence? We must be reminded what the scriptures say, and we must build scripture into our hearts that we can pull out in a moment's notice. Hebrews 13.5 in the message said, don't be obsessed with getting more material things. Be relaxed with what you have. It's Christmas. You can tell this to all your children. <laughs> Since God has assured us he will never let us down, never walk off and leave you, we can boldly quote, God is there, ready to help. I am fearless no matter what, who or what can get me. He will never let you down. He'll never walk away. But are we bringing them to the fight? The word tells us God will never leave us or forsake us. But 
Is that enough in the middle of the storm? We often need tangible things that we can put our hands on. At least that's what I need for sure. God will do his part. Will we do ours? We have a personal responsibility as well, as we're reminded in James 4, 7. So submit yourselves to the one true God and fight against the devil and his schemes. If you do, he will run away in failure. When we hear the word submit, what do you think? Just like talking about trials and battles, talking about submission is not a very popular topic. There are so many different understandings of this word. Just take a look at a few of the synonyms. We've got acknowledge, agree, defer, surrender, abide. I didn't even see that word. Appease, bend, bow, buckle. Think about that. Buckle. God's going to make us buckle. That's not our God. Cave. A lot of these have negative annotations to them. Concede, fold. That's not who our God is. When we talk about, you know, we talk about some of these, some of us acknowledge God is there, and we just move on. Some of us defer to God when everything else has failed. Some of us try to appease God just to get what we want. And then we go on our merry way until we need the genie in the bottle again. When we look at the definition of submit, I find it very interesting. Submit says to stop trying to fight or resist something. To agree or to do or accept something that you have been resisting or opposing. And then we can look at surrender. To give up completely or agree to forego, especially in favor of another. When we look at these words of submit and surrender, they shouldn't be negative things. There is so much gain in them, but our world that wants to challenge everything thinks that something over top of us is a bad thing. But when we've got the one who can win every single battle over top of us, we've already won. We must humble ourselves and come before God. Submit to the one who has the perfect plan and is already working it out. If we do that, there's a promise. The enemy will flee, run away. Like I said, the lion goes after the easy target. It wants the weakest link. If we've got God with us, we're already ahead of that. And the enemy will flee because there's no easy target there. So in preparation for the battle, the storm, the trial, we must, one, know and remember that God is with us. And two, we must submit to his ways. And the benefit is the enemy will flee. The time to study for the test is not in the middle of it. It's not. It's virtually impossible. Right? But how many of us have gotten to some trial, like some deep thing, all of a sudden we hear some awful news. It could be medical news. It could be job news. It could be whatever it is. And then we try to start studying. And I'm not saying it's impossible, but we're surely caught in the current. Right? And when you get caught in the current, sometimes you get dragged away before you can get back to shore. So the time to study is ahead of time. The time to prepare is ahead of time. I said we came off patrol, and the first thing we did before the enemy got there is we prepared for the enemy to come. We can take a lot of these things and use them in our own lives. Just like trying to submit to God or stand on Scripture is hard to do in the middle of the battle, we must do it prior. So what are we doing in the waiting to prepare for the battle? We must be practicing, preparing, and studying. I don't know if any of you have ever had the opportunity to go on a cruise before, but I've been blessed with my family to be able to go on several cruises. And one of the highlights of the cruise is the very first night you're on the ship and you go out to sea, you have to do a lifeboat drill. 
all right, where the, everybody in their room gets their life jackets and they put them on and they'd walk to where their lifeboat is just in case the boat started to sink, the Titanic, right? All right, but this just happens to be one of the silliest things you'll probably ever do in your life because you're on vacation, you've paid to be there, you want to go to some hot tropical place and you've got this big, huge, ginormous, silly life jacket on. And it only lasts about 20 minutes. But what's that 20 minutes for? To prepare, right? We look at the other picture, and this is daily living in our schools now, right? Schools are required two to three times a year to perform lockdown drills where all the kids and their teachers get huddled up in a secluded place to prepare for the unpre not unpreparable, but for the possible threat that could happen. And unfortunately, we see this happening more and more. So if lifeboats and cruise ships and schools are preparing for what they may face, how dare we as Christians not be preparing for the things we're going to face? Right? These are all life and death. The battles with the enemy are life and death. It says the enemy will come to kill, steal, and destroy. I don't know where there's life-giving stuff in that. Okay, so we have to prepare for these tests and trials and storms by storing God's truths inside of us. You know, I think we can learn a lot from animals, not cats, though. There's no way you can learn anything from a cat. <laughs> there's no way. But anyways, <laughs> my mom's got cats, and I hate those things. <laughs> However, um, we can learn a lot from bison. And I never thought of a bison as an animal that I can learn something from, but I just was reading some stuff about a CrossFit athlete whose motto is into the storm. And Rich Froning, if you know who he is, owns Froning Farms. And Froning Farms, Rich is a Christian athlete, a nine-time CrossFit champion. He's a monster. I mean, unbelievable athlete. But he owns a bison farm, and he makes jerky with the bison. But he's got this philosophy called into the storm. And we can learn a lot from bison. It says right in his website, because he's got shirts that say in, in the storm. I'm like, what's this all about? Because this is, this is biblical. And if I see that, I want to know why. And it says, when bison are up against the storm, they turn to meet it head on. They square their shoulders and they brace against its power. But they always move forward. Instinctively, they never try to avoid the hardship. They charge straight ahead to limit the pain they will experience. It goes on to say, life sends us challenges. Choose to respond. Let's choose to respond with God's truths. Think about that. How often, and I'm not saying, believe me, and I know I'm preaching this, and I know that the enemy is going to come. He's going to test me. There's no doubt about it. All right, but how often do we try to avoid the storm? How often does an athlete try to take the easy way out? How often do we, do we not want to square up, use God's word to get through where we're at? How often do we feel like we can't do it and we want to give up? You know, I work in a high school, and I'm going to talk about this in a little bit, but I've never seen so many teenagers dealing with anxiety who just want to turn their shoulders and run. And believe me, I'm not a school counselor or anything like that. But we got to think about how we're teaching them to get through this stuff. And sometimes we can learn a lot from a bison because sometimes we just need to square up, get strong, have God behind us, and face the battle that's in front of us so that God could do with us what he wants to do in the end. Which honestly says, it, says at the end of these scriptures, bring us to full maturity, which is the goal. So a little while ago, a couple years ago, God gave us this vision and quest of this series, which was a long series called Who You Say I Am. And this series was all about combating God's 
or combating the, the lies of the enemy and giving the kids the ammunition. And we've got this wall in Quest, if you've ever been in there, that's got all these promises. And believe me, there's so many more. You know, I was looking at this, I'm like, it doesn't say you're healed on there. How do we forget to say you're healed? Right? That's crazy. But there are so many truths in this. And I can tell you this week, I've got this, this picture on my phone, easy access. And when somebody's going through hard times, this week, matter of fact, I shared this picture with somebody. And I said, when you feel whatever, you find a truth to combat that. And then you go to the scripture heading and you look it up and see what it says. All right, this picture is on my phone, like I said, and I use it to fight battles. I share it quite often. But let's remember, the enemy didn't tempt Adam and Eve to murder, steal, or tell a lie. He tempted them to question God's word. His tactics haven't changed today. An example, all right, the trial you may be facing may be connected with a medical issue. And it may be awful. I remember when my mom got cancer. And how do I face it? What storm am I going to go into? What am I going to stand up? Am I going to be scared by what's here? Or am I going to combat this with God's truth? All right? I'm always looking for ammunition to fight the battle. All right? That's just what I need. Um, but then we can go to Isaiah 53.10, which says, By his stripes we are healed. Right? We can look at the circumstances. We can look at the bad part of it. But how do we combat it? What truth are you standing on? Because if it's not God's truth, there's not a whole lot of truth to it. And we've heard it said right from up here several times. You know, we'll Google and go search for and see all the remedies and whatever it may be before we go to God. When really, we should be going to God to get the remedy. And the remedy is, by his stripes, we are healed when we see these medical conditions or whatever they may be. But when you don't see the healing in a day, a month, or a year, or several years, it's hard to stand on that truth. But God is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his word will prevail. And he already has the victory. So that's what we need to hang on to. And I'm going to give you an example for my family. There was a person in this church who needed a kidney transplant. And my children found out about them because they were a teacher over in the Res Kids. And every single night, my children would pray for this individual. Dear Lord, please let so-and-so get his kidney. Please let him be completely healed. And it was days. And you think maybe after days, kids would be like, and then it was weeks, then it was months, then it was years. Two years later, I received a phone call. And this individual said, can I speak to my daughter? He didn't even ask to speak to me. He asked to speak to my daughter. And he got her on the phone. And he said, thank you. She's like, for what? And he said, I know you've been praying for my kidney, and guess what? I'm going to get it. That's not just my children. That's all of us. They just got to see the fruit of what they asked God for. But I'll tell you what, when children see fruit, that's motivation. So now they continue. to. They have the faith, they have the trust in God that no matter how long it takes, he's going to prevail. And they continue praying for people and especially healings. And, you know, they, they've seen multiple happen, not right in front of them, but they've heard the stories and things of what's taken place because of their faithfulness and standing on God's truths. Right? We need to bury his truths inside of us so that we can pull them out when we need them. Like I said, this was a huge lesson for my children. It taught them how to be steadfast. It taught them that God is faithful, and most importantly, that he hears our prayers. Now, they have no issue praying or questioning God's word because they've saw it and they've seen him perform it. Now, we've all made mistakes. We've fallen short. We've fallen into temptation. We've asked for God for forgiveness, but we continually beat ourselves up 
because we can't forgive ourselves. Has anybody ever been there before? Right? We need to remember God's truths. Right? When we look up this wall, there are so many truths here that can fight this lie from the enemy that we can't be forgiven. Psalms 103, I am free. 1 John 4.10, I am loved. Ephesians 2.10, I am a masterpiece. There's other scriptures that go on to say that I'm forgiven. And then when we go on to say that I'm forgiven, let's remember how far we're forgiven. We're forgiven as far as the east is from the west. And you can't even, it's unimaginable, it's unfathomable, you can't even measure it. But yet, dealing with teenagers all the time, they can't forgive themselves, so they get depressed. They have suicidal thoughts. They don't want to carry on with life. They get this A word called anxiety that drives me baloney bonkers. Not that I don't believe in it at all. I do believe in it. I see it every day. But we got to figure out how to combat it. It's there. But why can we fight this lie of I can't be forgiven? Because we can bury it with God's truths. And that's what we teach kids to do over in Quest. And that's what we need to do as adults. When we have these lies of the enemy creep up, we need to study and get into the word and find the counteracting piece. An example that happened in my own life last February is amazing to me. I occasionally, I had a job for 14 years as a phys ed teacher. And I knew that if God wanted him to open up a door for me, that, and it was what God wanted, I would take it. Um, so last February, I found out that there was a, a job that I wanted. It had everything that I wanted as a teacher and that I felt that, you know, God wanted me to be at. It was at a high school. Um, I think I can impact high school students. It was teaching phys ed there, obviously. Also being able to teach lifeguarding and first aid and CPR, which to me, it was my educational dream job. It's what, what I had wanted and I had been waiting for. So in 14 years, I had only ever applied to two other places. It wasn't like I was out searching to go look for a job. I just wanted to be where God wanted me to be. I think the last message I, I spoke in here was, not my will, but your will, right? Imagine, imagine that, right? But for me, it was the dream teaching job. So in February... I had to do a Zoom interview because we couldn't go in and do real interviews. So I had to leave my job for the afternoon and I need to go to a quiet place. And sometimes my house isn't the most quiet place there is. <laughs> so um, I came here and I, I was gonna do the interview in my, my office here at church. And Mickey greeted me and she encouraged me and said, you know what, you got this. And the pastors encouraged me and and as I was walking around the church before the, the interview in my shirt and tie and sneakers because they couldn't see my shoes, right? I'm walking around and I'm in quest and all of a sudden the enemy punched me in the face. He said, you know what? This job's not yours. You're not qualified for it. You're not going to know the answer to these questions. You teach at a small school where phys ed's not a priority. How dare you? How dare you apply for this job? My confidence went right through the hoop. And then I turned the corner, and in front of me was this wall. And I stood there, and I looked at it. And it said, Philippians 4.13, I am capable. And it said, 2 Peter 1, I have everything I need. Colossians 2.10, I'm complete. Ephesians 2.5, I am chosen. And you know what I did? I went in there and I destroyed that interview. And I had more confidence than I knew what to do with. And I was in there and the answers came right to me. And God gave me his favor. And you know what? It was amazing. And you, Mickey saw me when I walked out of that interview. And I was a whole different person. Now I want to show you how much God loves us. I walked into that interview, and he put somebody there who my wife knew. I didn't know him from anything. Favor. 
I'll show you how much God loves us when he wants to set you up. I got in there and a woman who my coworker is now, she said, I've got a question for you. But I'm not going to ask that question. I have a deaf parent. My mom and my dad are deaf. My daughter's hard of hearing. You teach at a deaf school. Hold on, see the connection? I'm not going to ask you this question about standards. You show me the alphabet. And I said, do you want to see it with one hand or two? And I went, A, B, C, D. Think about the confidence that God gave me as soon as I, that, those doors opened up. How much stress from an interview was automatically relieved. Because why? I turned to God's truths. When the enemy tried to tear me down, I had his truth stored up in me, or I had a place I could go get them, get strengthened, and take them to the battle that I was about to fight. And an interview is not a battle, but you know what? I'm competitive and I want to win. And especially when it's the job that God told me to apply for. And I believe it's mine. So that was the interview in February. Now listen to this. God says that he has the plans for us, right? And my family believes, we believe deep down in our heart, that this was the place I was supposed to be. So then I had to go on and do another interview. I had to go up and teach a lesson to a group of students who I'd never met before, and it went great. All right? And then I had an interview with the superintendent. And he came to me and he said, we're really happy with you. You know, we, we, we'd like to have you join the family here. This is what we can pay you, and these are the benefits we can give you. And I was like, yes, I've got it. But not just did God tell me that, and, and I, when I say God doesn't speak to me clearly all the time, but with this thing, we knew exactly what God wanted us to do. And we talked to the pastors about it and, and made sure that we weren't just flying solo here. He told me what my salary needed to be. He told me what my benefits needed to be and what I need to walk into there with or else I wasn't going to take it. And the superintendent offered me the job and it was nowhere close to where God said it had to be. Could I live off of what they were going to give me? Absolutely. I could. But you know what? God doesn't bring us, what to say? God says, brings us from glory to glory. He gives us exactly what he needs. He gives us everything I need. So I said, I'm sorry, thank you very much. This is my dream job, but I'm going to turn it down. Easy task? Not at all. And then um, they came back to me a little bit later, and they said, you know, we're going to offer you this. And I looked at it, and we prayed about it, and we said, nope, this is my dream job. This is everything I place I believe that God has for me to do, but the whole puzzle isn't met yet. And then I said, this is what I need. And the guy right there on the spot said, there's no way you're getting it. I said, okay. Thank you very much for the experience. Thank you for wanting me on your team, but I can't do this. This isn't the plan for me. And I walked away. Hurt, disappointed, questioning God. If this is my job and I, they want me, then why can't I take it? Would you ask the same question? What's going on here? Right? But what happened was absolutely amazing. I turned it down, and I was at peace inside, honestly, with turning it. And, and there's people here shaking their heads because they know. I was at peace with turning it down. But because you're at peace doesn't mean that you can't be disappointed. Does everybody understand that? All right. I was at peace because I knew I was doing God's will. But I was disappointed because I didn't understand it. And I had done the Jeremy thing, right? I got denied it. So we start setting the next, seeing what God has and start setting the next plan in place before God tells you what the plan is. So I started setting my plan in place. And then two weeks later, a long two weeks later, I got a phone call from the superintendent. And he said, Jeremy, 
I know you've closed the door, but I want to make you one last offer. And it was absolutely the, the exact same offer that God told me I needed. And I've been teaching up at Holland Patton for 14 weeks, and I couldn't be happier with my job. And because you know why? I'm exactly where God has for me to be, doing exactly what God has for me to do with the people that God has me to do it with. So praise God. I don't tell that story for anything to do with me because believe me, it was a rough road and it, you, know, you don't think of that as a trial. But there was a lot of trial inside of that. But with that, we got to remember that we need to stand on his word, trust that out, he's going to work all things for good for those who love him and are called according to purposes and believe that his plan will take place in his timing and not ours. So whatever trial you're in or whatever mountain you need moved, understand God can do it. If he did it in my life, he can surely do it in yours. He's a God who opens doors. He doesn't close them. Or sometimes he does close them if, if they're not the things we should be doing. We must know that he is present submit to his plans, and have his scriptures stored up in our heart. That's the only way we can get through these times of waiting and trusting. In the Bible, we have so many good stories about waiting, but today I'm going to share one with you. For some of you, this may be familiar. For others, it may be new. This story is a buy one, get one. It's a two for one, all right? And we'll start in the book of Mark. The book of Mark here, it says... And this is verse 25, chapter 5. Now the crowd that day, now in the crowd that day was a woman who had been suffering horribly from continual bleeding for 12 years. This is about the woman with the blood. Now think about this. We got to really look backwards to be able to understand and get forwards, right? Now in the crowd that day was a woman who had been suffering horribly from continual bleeding for 12 years. The crowd was gathered. Why was the crowd gathered? Do we know why? We do if we look backwards, right? So what was going on is Jesus was coming off the sea in a boat. And at the shore, the crowd gathered because they found out what he had done before he crossed the sea. And what he'd done over there is he released the man from the demons that were inside him, set him in the pigs, and the pigs ran off the side of the cliff. Now, they heard this story about how he freed this man and how he had healed other people. So as the boat came to the edge of the water, people gathered because, you know what? They wanted what he had. Guess what? We all need what he has. All right? So they're there. And this woman sees the crowd. And inside of that crowd, a man named Jarius comes up and he says, My daughter is dying. I need you, the healer, to come heal her and make her complete. So this crowd starts moving. Now it says that this scripture, it says that this is a vast crowd. This is a large crowd. All right, the way I picture this, and I am a word picture person, all right? Please, I'm not equating the president to Jesus, all right? But when the president's walking and the secret service are around him and people are trying to get up to him, or a rock star, right? And everybody wants to touch them. This is what's going on. They want to touch the rock star. Right? And they're all there, and there's, oh my goodness, did you hear what he did here? Did you see what he did here? Oh my goodness, he's going to go do this. Let's go watch. And this lady who's standing from afar sees this crowd, overhears this crowd, questions what's going on. But remember, she can't get close because she's unclean, because she's bleeding. So to be around the crowd could be punishable by death to her. But she hears, and she reads, right? So then it says, she had endured a great deal under the care of various doctors. Yet in spite of spending all she had on her treatments, she was only getting worse, not better. She tried everything in her own power. She went to every doctor, tried every remedy, gave up everything she had to get better. But when she heard this, she heard this crowd. What's going on? What's going on there? Hey, 
what's going on? He's going to heal this girl. She said, this is my chance. And she looked, and she made a decision. And it said, when she heard about Jesus' healing power, she pushed through the crowd and came up behind him and touched his prayer shawl. Think about this. This woman's unclean. She can't be around people. She can't touch people. Or they become ceremonial unclean. To do this is punishable by death. But yet she know that if she didn't get this opportunity, if she didn't try every last thing, she was going to die too. But not from being killed by, by the guards. She was going to be killed by her, by her illness. So you know what? She said it's worth it. The risk is worth the reward. And she pushed in the crowd. Now, Pastor Gabe and I had a conversation about this last night because I don't like to twist things, right? Because this is very interpretational, right? And we think about how she entered this crowd, right? And you think about, think about her condition. She's been bleeding for 12 years. Is she a strong lady or a weak lady? She's probably pretty weak, right? Frail, at her wit's end, tired, discouraged, but this opportunity opened up and she pushes and she's in there. And now think, right? I, I gave you this picture. We think about either the rock star with the bodyguards or the president with the secret service. She knows she's got one goal at this point. It says right here, when she heard about Jesus' healing power, she pushed through the crowd and came up behind him and touched his prayer shawl. Her only goal was to touch his clothing. How much faith is in that? How much hope is in that? So she got in there, and she's in the crowd, and she's battling, and she's getting through, right? This frail lady who had been bleeding for 12 years, possibly, right, was either all hunkered down so nobody knew who she was, so she didn't get in trouble for being unclean and touching people, or there's other versions that say she touched the hem of his garment. Now think about it. Why was she down so low? Now, Pastor Gabe and I discussed this, and there's possibly like she was hiding and she was getting lower and lower as she was going through because people didn't know or want to know who she was and she didn't want them to know she didn't get in trouble. Or think about this. She got knocked to the ground. And the only thing she could do was reach. And when she got there, the only thing that was there was his shawl and the tassels or the hem of his garment. And she said, if I just touch him... I will be healed. And she did. And it goes on to say what? Right here. She pushed through the crowd and she came up behind him and touched his shawl. For she kept saying to herself, she had to build confidence in herself. She was talking her way. It's like the little engine who could. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. If I only, if I only, if I only, if I only touch him, I will be healed. And as she touched him, her blood immediately stopped. Now, I've been around a lot of blood in my days. Being a lifeguard, being a Marine, I've never in my life seen blood stop instantaneously. Or a person who's bleeding know that it stopped. That's how much power went into her. And she knew it, and she could feel it, and her body instantly was healed from the disease. Think about that. I couldn't imagine bleeding for 12 years. I couldn't imagine going through the distress and the heartache and trying to do it all myself for 12 years. But I believe that this was the very first time she ever heard about Jesus. Because it said when she heard about him, she went and took advantage of it. Now, I believe most of us in here have take, heard about Jesus over and over and over. How much, how often are we taking advantage of what he has to offer? So the scripture goes on to say um, that she pushed through, we saw that, and then he, Jesus stops as soon as he touches her. Or she touches him. And he said, who touched me? And then 
the secret service, the disciples, said, you nuts? Everybody's touching you. Everybody wants to get a grasp on you. He said, no, somebody touched me. And Jesus had felt the power leave his body and go into her and heal her. And then he says, he goes on to say, that daughter, she admits that she had done it. She touched him, and he said, you are healed, go on. But let's remember, this is a two-for-one story. Jesus was doing something when he did something. He was going to heal Jairus' daughter. And he didn't stop doing that either. After he healed this woman on his way, he continues to walk, go to Jairus' house, and heal his daughter. He'll stop for you wherever you are. All you got to do is reach out and grab him. It doesn't matter what's going on. He'll be there for you. We just got to extend our hand with hope and faith. Now, we might not see it as instantaneous as this woman did, but we'll see it, and we've got to believe it. So Mark 534 says, then Jesus said to her daughter, because you dared to believe, your faith has healed you. Go with peace in your heart and be free from your suffering. Let's not forget that this is a two for one. We talked about that. We need to go to Jesus as our first resort, not our last resort. Not when all the other things align. Quite frankly, we use Jesus as the last resort. We go to everything else in the world before we go to him. So as we close today, we're to remember that there are an enemy who's out there and his job is to destroy us. But we need to be prepared. In the waiting, there's a couple, few keys that we need to do. One, we must know and remember God is with us. Two, we must submit to his ways because there's a benefit in this. The benefit is the enemy will flee. Three, store up his truths in our heart and use them as ammunition. And four, trust God's timing because it's always perfect. Whether you're currently in the middle of a storm or you're in the waiting for the next attack to happen, it is important that we take the lessons we learned from the bison we square up our shoulders, we brace against the storm's power and continue to move forward knowing that God is with us and that he's always won the battle. With, all the ha with everybody's eyes closed in here, if there's anybody here today who's in the middle of the storm, I'd like you to just slip your hand up because I'd like to pray for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Dear Lord, I just thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you are, already have the victory. I thank you for each hand that's raised in this room right now, Lord, and for the, the battle that they're going through, Lord. And Lord, I ask that they be strong and firm, Lord, that in the middle of the storm, Lord, that they come alongside people who can help them be grounded in your word, Lord, because it's tough when you're in the middle of the battle to get out. But Lord, we, I thank you for surrounding them with people who have your understanding and your wisdom. Lord, we ask that you give them strength when they want to give up, Lord. We ask them that you have the right words and they be your words to get through these challenges and these difficulties, Lord. And most importantly, that they turn to you and they rely on you for it all. And that at the end of it, Lord, that they remember you have the victory and you have already won this. And we'll be sure to give you all the praise and glory. And we thank you for the testimonies we're going to hear for the battles that you're going to help people win. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. With your eyes still closed, if there's anybody here today who feels like or does not have this, this champion with them, this champion Jesus, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings with them, and wants to bring them into battle with them, I'd ask that you slip your hand up because your life can be changed today by accepting Jesus into your heart. I know most of you in here, and I know that, that, that Jesus 
the, the God is king of your lives. And I just thank you for that, Lord. So as we close today, Lord, we just thank you, Lord, that we put you first in everything we do, Lord, that we rely on you, Lord, and that we take the lessons that we learned through Judy and her waiting, her waiting teachings, Lord, and the ones that we heard today, Lord, and that we apply them, Lord, that we take the intelligence of knowing that the enemy is out there, Lord, and that we prepare in the defense so that we can win because you are with us and that our testimony can change lives because you created it. And we'll be sure to give you all the praise and the honor and glory in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. So with that, I would just like to thank you for being here today. Um, we're going to dismiss here. i just like to remind everybody that um, tomorrow, Oneida County changes with the new mask requirement. So as you come into service next week, please prepare to come through the doors with a mask on. And later in the week, we'll be sending out guidance with the church app and through Facebook and everything as to what's going to take place and things like that. But we just want to make sure everybody understands that as they come into the building, they'll, they'll be needing to wear a mask. Good to go? All right, I'm just going to everybody stand. We'll pray and dismiss. Dear Lord, I just thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you are king. And we thank you that you are king of our lives, Lord. As we go today, Lord, we know that as we walk out these doors, Lord, that the battle may be right in front of us, Lord. But we ask right now, Lord, that we work with you in tandem and you in lead, Lord, to help us get through these battles and challenges, Lord. We thank you so much for who you are, Lord, in our lives, Lord. And we just thank you for all you do. Lord, we ask that as we go forth, Lord, we keep our eyes open and we focus outward to see who we can impact and who needs you, because we all do. But who are we supposed to speak to, especially during this time of year where we learn about the birth of your son, Jesus? And we just ask that we share that true message during this Christmas season. So thank you. Go out, be blessed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.